Welcome to the Adversity to Advantage podcast. This is the place to learn how to get through your worst rock bottom and start to embrace adversity. I'm your host, Petra Belzebor. I'm a therapist and a life coach, but my biggest learning is from my own rock bottom. My story includes being raised in a cult, dealing with depression, anxiety, suicidal thoughts, and alcoholism. But along the way, I've learned to turn my entire life around to one of success, joy, and fulfillment. So in this podcast, I'll be talking to people from all walks of life who've done the same. I'll be teasing out the skills and tools necessary, as well as using my own experience to teach you how to turn your adversity into your biggest advantage. Welcome everyone to the Adversity to Advantage podcast. I'm, I'm really proud and excited to have Richard Reed uh, today on the line. He's, he's a personal trainer, uh, a father of two, um, but not only that, he personally impacted my life. I, I trained for the marathon a couple years ago and totally did it wrong and injured myself. Uh, and Richard really helped me get back to, to full uh, strength and fitness, I'm excited to say. Welcome to the podcast, Richard. Hi there. Happy thank, to be here. Thank you. Thanks for being here. Um, so, so fill in the blanks just to give people a bit of a context about you. What are you passionate about in, in your work and your life at the moment? Um, let's see. Well, for, I guess uh, you know, being a family man, that's the, you know, a big center of my world. So I'm very passionate about family. Yeah. Um, spend a lot of time with my kids um, and, uh, you know, not so much time for myself, but, you know, that's, that's okay. Um, outside of family, I'm, I'm definitely passionate about my work as a personal trainer and, and coach. I also work with other personal trainers. So I'm passionate about helping people in general. You know, that's, that's a, a guiding force in my life, I guess, is helping people. Um, for myself, personally, I, I'm also passionate about uh, my paddleboarding, stand-up paddleboarding. Oh, yeah, which, um, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's it. Um, you know, which is my, my sense of adventure. You know, I used to travel a lot before becoming a family man. Um, I don't travel so much now, but paddleboarding really ticks the adventure box, you know. And, and so that's something I, I do whenever I can out into the wild, as it were. And it sounds like it's something sort yeah. of just for you or, I don't know, connecting exactly. to nature, kind of a mindful activity. Yeah. That's right, yeah. Connecting with nature has always been a big feature of my life alongside um, challenging myself physically and mentally, so... And those two things kind of go hand in hand. And um, I'm a, I, I like to be a bit of a loner sometimes. So, you know, paddleboarding kind of ticks that box. I get to go out by myself in my own space for what I would fit as long periods of time. And I, I really like that. Um, and I guess for some people, there, there can be something really nurturing about that and also mm. a bit scary for some people to just be alone with their own thoughts, I guess. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah, absolutely. Um, I've, I've certainly met people on my travels where, you know, I've maybe chosen to spend a significant amount of time, like on a, on a deserted island, for instance, and I'll be there for like two weeks, you know, just soaking up the loneliness. <laughs> and people like, the loneliness. Yeah, like, they'll have like a tolerance of like a few days and they have to get out of there kind of thing, you know? But, um, That's probably really, me. <laughs> yeah, I really enjoy my own space. If, you know, I enjoy the space of others, but you know, I, I can equally um, get along by myself and in, enjoy that. But what is it? Time. What does mm-hmm. it sort of give you? I guess when you're coming back into you know the London scene, the the real world, as it were, as a busy family man with a busy business, what does that yeah. kind of time away sort of give you? 
Um, I think, it, it, you know, um, to use a, a colloquial kind of expression, it tops up the batteries, that's for sure, you know, so it gives yeah. me, replaces some lost energy through, you know, the general strains of life and whatever. So, um, um, kind of maintains my motivation for doing things, you know. Um, a lot of my motivation for what I do is centered around my children. Mm. Um, but, you know, I've spent most of my life, um, that motivation coming from adventure and exploration and discovery. So, you know, it feeds that part of my psyche that needs that, I guess, you know, wherever that came from as a young kid, um, that's what I need as an adult, you know, that adventure, that unknown, exploring the unknown. And Yeah, it's and like you feel there. like so fully alive. Fulfilled, yeah, mm. well, yeah, it fulfills me, you know. Um, yeah. Would, was there a time when your kids were, were just born or really young where you had to park some of that a little bit? Oh, absolutely. Being a father, I've had to, you know, put a stop on a lot of that. Um, but I think, you know, what's happened is, is by taking up, you know, paddleboarding, it's made adventure a lot more accessible. Um, so, you know, I don't need to go on these sort of month-long journeys off to somewhere mysterious, as it were, which is what I kind of used to do um, in my younger years. So um, now I can go off for a long weekend, you know, somewhere equally mysterious, but you know, paddleboarding and that kind of, that kind of, you know, ticks the box. Captures some of what, what you need. And yeah, that, exactly. I'm always fascinated by the alone time versus loneliness and lack of connection. Mm. And especially mm. when it comes to, to mindset and I guess living in the city, people can, you know, uh, feel a lot of loneliness, um, but also isolate themselves from people when they actually need connection mm. instead. Yeah, um, yeah. So it's just really interesting to hear your views yeah. on, well, sometimes well, alone yeah. time helps yeah. us. Yeah, well, I think another feature of, of, you know, having the adventure and having that time alone is um, even if it's just kind of me just staring at, you know, the ocean and, and introspecting, um, I find those things, things I like to actually share, you know. So when I come back into being around people, I enjoy moments where maybe I take an experience I've had by myself somewhere and I share it with somebody, you know, off, whether it be offering a perspective on something or just simply saying, hey, this happened to me and, wow, that, it was amazing. Uh, um, you know, so I enjoyed the kind of sharing. I think part of the adventure is the ability to share. I think if I had no one to share it with, I thought it was something missing. It would be more isolating. And you sh- certainly, I've seen you yeah. u- use it in, in your work as, as sort of a, an inspiration to people uh, trying to yeah. mo- motivate themselves as well. I think it's a, a be- beautiful part yeah. of what you do. Um, yeah, thank you. So give us a little bit of, of context if we go back a bit to your childhood and mm. you growing up and what sort of set you up for life. I mean, do you think your, mm. your, your parents or the education system kind of set you up for what the real world has been like as an adult? I think probably one, the most pivotal thing that had probably set me up for, for my life um, probably wasn't having my father there. So, you know, my father um, disappeared or left or whatever, you know, when I was about a year, a year and a half. So I effectively didn't know him at all. Um, and I think that was a very strong influence when I look back you know and I've done that on, a, on many occasions is sort of you know draw that storyline of the life you know where things began and how you got to where you are and I would definitely say um, that was one of the most pivotal things to affect how I've grown into the world. How do you think it affected you? Um, I think you know you know having a father and a mother there 
definitely has a functional thing, whatever the arguments and notes of nature are, et cetera, et cetera, you know. Mm. Having a father and mother, you know, being able to fulfill those two sort of different, very different perspectives on life, you know, one's male and one's feminine. I think, you know, people have different perspectives, whether they're men or women. Definitely. And I think being able to, you know, share that with a growing child is very important. So I think by not having my father there, it pushed me to either succeed or not not succeed in the areas that I needed that support, you know. And I think what happened is, is that um, I was fortunate enough, for whatever reason, to be able to fill in the gaps, you know, as a growing man. Um, and... Uh, and so it guided things like my self-exploration where maybe I didn't have a father to get answers answers to very um, important questions growing up. I had to kind of discover them myself because there was no male figure there. So, you know, I was just fortunate for whatever reason to be able to have a level of in- introspection, I believe, and it's a level of introspection and um, curiosity that allowed me to find my own particular answers, you know. Um, so I think that definitely shaped my my own way of navigating my inner world, if that makes sense. Yeah, totally. Um, do you think mm. you you were kind of born with that that innate curiosity thing? Well, I think um, I think just certainly being a father now and just seeing how you know my children have naturally just got, been drawn to certain things. You know, mm-hmm. I think that has really sealed. Um, you know, a feeling in me that some things we're born with, you know, we're not necessarily born with the whole package, but we're born with kind of nudging influences, you know, little things that tweak the direction and life does the rest kind of thing. Um, You know, so, yeah, I definitely feel there was something from a very, very early age, one of the most earliest memories, curiosities and inclinations that, I couldn't have learned from anybody because um, there was nobody in my life doing or discovering or exploring the way I was. So, you know, it's, uh, yeah, I think it definitely came with the territory as it were. Yeah. Um, and, and then did you, did you have siblings? Um, what, what part did the education system play? Did you, were there any role, male role models within that? Um, no, there were no singular role models. I guess, you know, there would have been, um, I can choose, individuals, male individuals that maybe featured a small part of my growing up, you know, that form a part of my memory, you know, there might have been, you know, my earliest memory of um, a man who was a friend of my mother's and he taught me how to swim, mm. you know, and, and I remember, I can, I'll never forget the feeling of freedom, connection and fluidity that coursed through my mind and my body when I first learned to swim in a swimming pool in Chelsea. You know, um, it was just incredible. And it, there was something about learning it from somebody that felt kind of alien because he was Chinese. He looked really different to everybody else I knew. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. As a kid, yeah. as a kid, it was just like, he's really different. You yeah. know, he's not British and he's not a relative and, you know, he's my mum's friend. But he's teaching me to swim. He's giving me something that is, you know, really powerful. So I think, you know, that was one of the very, one of the earliest seeds of, get in you know i'm kind of stretching my imagination here a little bit yeah, maybe, yeah, but yeah. this whole thing of like discovering new things through unusual ways you know well um, like that, the way know. you describe it is almost the exactly. way you might describe adventure as well just that freedom yeah. and, and you know uh, someone right. imparting that to you that's right 
So you know, I can choose. I can choose choose possible male male sorry male role models that have featured at different parts of my my growing up. But then it was interesting that the first thing that came to mind about your, you know, what built your formative mm. character was like the absence of your, your dad and having yeah. the feeling that you needed to figure some of this stuff out on your own. Mm. Mm. Yeah, definitely. My goodness. Um, so where did this take you? What were some of the next steps as you, you moved through the education system, became a, a young adult? And of course, our, our theme here is around adversity. And I'm wondering kind of what comes up for you within that theme? Well, the the biggest um, thing uh, as a stepping stone um, that shaped me, I guess, was uh, my experience of secondary school. Yeah. You know, my experience of secondary school was, like, really bad. It was really bad, only because I was bullied. So, you know, I, I was bullied a lot mm. um, at secondary school. Um, and once again, because I didn't have a father figure there, there was a stepfather around at the time, um, the father of my um, brother, you know, right. um, so, you know, um, different father to my brother. Um, and he was around for a while, but he just wasn't, I didn't recognize him as a father figure. Um, and the bullying at school, um, didn't get any support, you know? So my mother tried to intervene and the teachers tried to intervene as well, but it just didn't seem to do anything. It was only the only thing that changed it was me coming of age so the boys that did bully me left the school and I became older and more aggressive so I had natural sort of perimeters were set up around me but there was nothing there was no lessons that helped me through it there's no sort of you know son you can do it this way or you know mm. think about this or whatever I just had no experience of that so that was a really huge shaper for how I kind of as an adult started to um, interact with the world. Well, it sounds really lonely. We're talking about the differences between aloneness and loneliness, and, and it sounds like yeah. it's a really like the negative version of an isolating experience when you're just sort of yeah. in this on your own. Yeah, yeah, and I think um, that was where you know um, my first um, real experiences of depression um, started. Really, was that real sense of loneliness so you know going away and being by myself mm. and, and being alone and enjoying that sense of being alone is very different to being around hundreds of people either mm. close or not close to you and feeling really alone well yeah. it's that sense of control right so if you're setting mm. up an adventure paddle boarding whatever it might be you're like i'm setting up these conditions in order to reflect yeah. feel safe do the, my thing whereas with all mm. those people in secondary school and you you know you're you're helpless you're you're out of control as far as the circumstances very different yeah absolutely well i mean how, how dark did that time get for you how did depression show up for you was it did you stay in your room did you just sort of numb out and not interact with people what was coming up um, I think, I think you know, different things happened, you know, at that time. Um, sometimes I would just want to be alone even more, you know. Um, you know, sort of like you're in the dark and sometimes reaching to the light actually is not as, um, you know, nice or, or, you know, nurturing as going deeper into the dark. Sometimes you just go deeper into the dark to feel better, you know. Um, and so, you know, but there's also, I think, um, there was this kind of, use of a better word, this kind of obsessive side to it. So there's this like, you know, obsessing with the problem, you know, so 
if guys were bullying me, if there was a particular bullying experience, I would possibly go over in my head the same thing. Why? Why me? You know? Mm. So you're almost re-traumatizing yourself every time. Yes, it might be like a hundred times, a thousand times, whatever, just kind of going, why me? Why me? Why me? And just just being there alone, just thinking, "Why, why the hell me? Until... You know, I think what used to pop into my head is, you know, what can I bloody do about this? You know, so I'd be kind of thinking about, you know, what can I do? What can I do? What can I do? There's nothing I can do. Why me? So, yeah, real so, sort, know, of sort of hopeless spiral. Yeah, yeah. And do you remember yeah. any, like, did you have any friendships or some sort of support networks, even if they couldn't help with the bullying, but people you might be able to no. talk with or hang out with? No, it was, yeah, it was literally nobody, yeah. That's so hard. And so you're, you're saying uh, you sort of organically over time, the, the bullies left and, and you got older. And um, obviously you're a personal trainer. You look after your body mm. and your mind. You've got this, you know, you got a, you're a sweet on the inside, but you've got a tough guy image, right? <laughs> um, so I'm thinking, <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to picture the journey from this little bullied kid, right? To, um, yeah. to the guy yeah. who does a hundred reps of whatever and teaches other people yeah. to do the same, right? Like, what's what was yeah. that journey like? Well, it's it's been interesting. You know, it's kind of you know it goes in all kinds of directions, I guess. But you know, I, I abhor bullying now, to say the least. You know, but I also abhor any level of oppression. You know, mm. so um, bullying for me begins even if like you're, you're talking and somebody wants to talk over you. You know mm. what I mean? It's the start of an oppressive cycle. Not respecting. So, you know, yeah. So I started to recognize, I guess, growing up more and more examples. I became a bit of a crusader against it, I guess, you know, in workplaces and whatever. You know, I abhorred being told what to do just for the sake of it. I didn't mind being instructed or whatever, but if it was a colleague or, you know, a manager or anybody that tried to kind of put me in a corner, I'd become very aggressive um, verbally. Um, Not in the sense of like, um, it became quite an intellectual process. So not necessarily, you know, I'm going to fight you now or F off or something like that, but more about trying to find ways, um, aggressive stand stand up for yourself kind of tactics. Um, yeah, so, so kind people, of yeah. being, being triggered in those moments by all the shit yeah. that happened in the past yeah. and not quite yeah. quite knowing how to communicate or manage it, just knowing that you yeah. would not stand for it. Yeah, yeah, I just didn't want it happening again, you know. Um, so, yeah, that became a feature of my life for some time. Would you, would you say that it became sort of unhealthy or it was just that journey of, you know, you, you, you know figuring it out for yourself? Um, I think possibly the most unhealthy aspect of it was um, twofold. One was having this opportunity in the workplace, you know, wherever I found myself. Um, you know, so, you know, you, you know I, I guess those who would consider you a subordinate would get a, a clear sense that you're not going to do what you're told. So, <laughs> unfortunately, <laughs> unfortunately, that's not a great premise for... No wonder you, you work for yourself now, Richard. <laughs> oh, there you go. Yeah, so, <laughs> You've made you it work I mean? for you. <laughs> I, just, I just discovered quite quickly that was the best, best option, really, you know. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but the other side is, is that when I did choose to be aggressive, um, in reflecting on my aggression, there were periods where um, I maybe regretted my responses. So that was the other unhealthy aspect to it is that I felt sometimes it was unnecessary or uncalled for. So I had to go through a period of recalibrating 
the way I dealt with the whole thing of bullying, I guess. Yeah, completely. I, I mean, mm-hmm. how did the after effects show up maybe in other relationships? So you talked about work, but friendships or uh, uh, intimate relationships, did, did this well, sort of thing show up there? Yeah, well, yeah, it showed up there, I guess. Um, you know, uh, I've had to deal with a lot of anger in relationships when um, sort of being, um, well, I, you know, I, I have actually, in, in a relationship, I have been um, subject to um, a certain amount of, um, um, was it domestic violence, you could call it, not in the physical sense, but verbal and mental. Um, and in experiencing that, my it felt like being in a corner you so know. towards you, is that what you're yeah, saying? Towards yeah, towards me, yeah, yeah. And so being in, stuck in a corner, yeah, it made me fight my way out of it. And so, you know, I've had, I have had experiences in relationships where my response has been quite aggressive verbally and even physically, not towards the other person, but towards my environment. So, you know, having angry, angry, aggressive um, outbursts, you know, because I'm... I'm being I'm being abused, so it's almost like a cycle of abuse. Almost, you know, that, that has happened in relationships where I've been abused, and then I've been abusive back in a very aggressive way to kind of push that person away from me and not not do that anymore. You know, um, so you know that's been that's been really really challenging is to be able to what I feel control that and find more um, you know wholesome ways to guide whoever it is I'm with in a different way of behaving or just get out of the relationship. <laughs> yeah, get out yeah. of the relationship or be able to communicate what you actually need, exactly. right, yeah. in, in those situations. And, yeah, so that, that's been a challenge in, in um, relationships, yeah. It's so interesting just how these patterns repeat for us based on, mm. on, on our childhood, and I completely relate to the, the justice one, you know, uh, just because mm. of the way I was raised and some of my, my close friends and even siblings, how, how they might have been treated. So more of like the survivor's guilt rather than me personally being bullied. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, but, you know, I started out working it with young offenders because it was the perfect uh, formula for mm. me to be a voice and advocate for someone else almost as a way of repairing what I wasn't able to give a voice to when I was younger. Um, Mm. But then the extreme can happen where you're always being the voice for other people and you're actually depriving Mm. them of the opportunity to build their own character Mm. and find their Mm. own voice. So it's been an Mm. interesting learning curve, right? Mm. To learn to empower people and and, and help them create the conditions to see and to communicate rather than step in and be that for them yeah absolutely so i'm curious about the i'm curious about the how because you're you're talking about these repeat patterns and of course you've got some great hindsight now on on what's happened and you've obviously completely switched your priorities of who you Mm. are as a family man who's very Mm. protective of his family and and you know knows himself that much better what did you, how did you learn to move from that more aggressive hurt place? Did, did you ever go to therapy? Did you just get into the exercise thing? Was that sort of a routine sort of salvation um, for you? What was it? I've, I've, tried, I've tried some counseling a couple of times. Um, I, I was at a really, really low point um, just before I went on a sabbatical well, about 12 years ago. So I took six months out of my um, uh, personal training career, as it were. And went to went to um, Southeast Asia for six months, 
And the purpose of that was just to kind of get on top of it all, you know. So up to about 12 years ago, I really felt I was in a cycle of, you know, how do I deal with my past, yeah? Um, and what, before what, I went on what, this... Well, yeah, yeah, what yeah. brought you to that point 12 years ago? It's very interesting. Exactly 12 years ago, I, uh, I was suicidal, yeah. and, uh, you know, and, I'm, and, and I yeah. refer to things like rock bottoms or, or crashes, and I'm wondering if, was, was, is that what that episode The beginning of that was um, losing a child through uh, an abortion that I didn't give consent to. Mm. Yeah. So that was the cycle, really. That started it all off, and I had, um, you know, um, uh, another relationship since that one, which just didn't didn't work. Um, but it was just a, it just helped to propel me towards that point where I just felt like I just really wasn't on top of it all, and I needed to really find. I almost felt I needed to really find my whole perspective on everything. So the only way I could do that was to go into a completely alien environment yeah. where I knew nobody and every, and all the rules were different and I could just like re, rewrite my rule book, you know. That's uh, an amazing way of putting it. So just creating some distance. Um, and I do find consistently with people I'm interviewing that sometimes we've got to get to that darkest, lowest point in order mm. to jolt us into whatever shift it is that we need to take. Creating some mm. distance, time for reflection. Uh, I like how you said creating a new rule book because it's all, almost going, mm. okay, if I'm going to consciously decide what to do with all of this, pain, hurt, you know, history, what is it I'm going to do? So what were yeah. those six months like? Oh, it was great. I mean, one of the... I mean, one of the biggest um, um, things that happened to me as a child was growing up um, needing a lot because I didn't have my father and I was being bullied and all of this stuff, but also my mother needing me equally as much um, mm. because, you know, her relationships were oppressive. Um, so from a very early age, I was fine also learning how to help those close to me, if that makes sense. Mm. You know, I had a little brother growing up as well. So, um, you know, I had to kind of fall into this role of being a kind of father mm. and, a, and a husband to my mother um, and in doing all of that. So what happened is, is that that kind of, um, so I've kind of gone back in history a little bit just to add another right. perspective on things. <laughs> yeah. But what happens alongside, you know, wanting to fight the world of oppression that manifested around me as an adult, um, I was also fighting this world of trying to heal everybody, you know. Mm. So anybody who was in my circle, that was it. It could it'd be a friend, somebody who was in a relationship, somebody I, I met at work. I was just helping everybody. Mm-hmm. You know, I was sorting everybody out or trying to anyway. You sure, know? sure, sure. Um, and, uh, and I just got to a point where I realized that both my aggressive stance on the world and really funny kind of yin-yang thing here, you know, my aggressive stance in the world coupled with my, my wanting to heal the other half of the world that isn't aggressive yeah. um, just was too much. And I, that's why I wanted to get, get away, you know. Um, it's, uh, I think I'd done too much of it. And the last relationship I was in before I went away, I actually became the abusive one. Mm. Yeah. That's a wake-up call, isn't it? Oh, yeah. Um, so where did that take you? 
Wow, I was in Thailand for six months and I guess I wrote the rule book, rewrote it. Um, I think one of the things um, I came across was meeting strangers mm-hmm. and still having that program of wanting to heal, heal and help, but saying to myself, I don't have to do this, you know, I can choose not to help people and it's okay. Um, and it was really, it was quite a powerful experience because I was meeting people who I guess kind of sensed that I could help them, I guess, you know, because you kind of give off those pheromones, you know, I'm, I'm a helper. I kind of think, you know, people kind of know, you know. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, you know, I was there kind of going, I'm not going to help you. And I, but I was really, I kind of like went the other end of the spectrum and wouldn't coke things up in candy. I would just be like, I don't want to help you right now. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, I need to do, I'm, I'm going here, I'm doing that because that's what I want to do for myself and not helping you. And it was really being received, you know, everybody obviously has their own little programs going on and whatever, history. Mm. But there were people I was meeting who I was making that decision with um, and their reaction towards me was like to kind of like grab harder and like to, you know, even, mm. even, you know, try and make me feel guilty, you know, like how can you be this way, be so selfish and all that. And it's it just me kind of like, you know, you don't know, have no idea yeah. where I'm coming from, you know. And how depleted and I couldn't go you are. In, that's why I couldn't go into it. I didn't want to go into no. it. I just wanted to be like, I don't need, see, I, I even felt I didn't need to explain all of that you know what I mean why do I need to explain my history to Hmm. own the right not to help somebody you know do you know what I mean yeah um so it was a it was you know I did help people on the other hand you know the examples of me almost turning people's lives around you know whilst I was out there but I made clear decisions when I didn't want to help and 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 felt good as a result of it and enlightened even, you know? Um, yeah. Yeah. Cause the so thing about rewriting was... a rule book is it's, you don't have the perfect blueprint for the next one. You've got to experiment a little bit in yeah, order to find yeah. the right boundaries and the right balance that works for you and allows you to be the person right. you want to be. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and for me, you know, saying to anybody in my life over a decade ago, being able to say, or, you know, thinking of saying, um, I don't want to help you. It was terrifying. Mm, of course. Seriously, it would be a terrifying thing. I would feel like um, feelings of guilt yeah. even thinking of it. Um, what about reje- it. rejection? Like people. Yeah, and right? rejection. I'd feel that the world would reject me. People would reject me, you yeah. know? Absolutely. So it was a terrifying thing to, to do that um, and to be empowered, to be able to kind of look at the person closest to you that you care most about. And even, you know, I do sugar candy things these days, but I still, <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm but you still shoot but straight, still, don't you? Yeah, but still, you know, look, I really can't help you right now. Yeah. This is why I can't help you. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah, so, yeah. you know. And that, uh, you, someone can respect that. Yeah, you know, or not, but at the end right. of the day, <laughs> do you know what I mean? <laughs> so, you know, I've been clear, this is where I'm at, you know. <laughs> yeah, so giving yourself permission to just be honest yeah. with yourself, first of all, and then Absolutely. communicate that out as well. Yeah. I'm always curious on these journeys, and I'm so drawn mm. to your story about, especially for men, um, and the conditioning mm. around not asking for help and showing no weakness, that sort of thing. Um, along mm. this whole road, did you ask anyone for help? Did you 
um, talk to anyone about how you were really feeling or what was really going well, on? Well, this is the thing. This is the thing as a kid, you know, I had no, I had no inhibition asking for help. And I, I did, I asked okay. people around me for help and it kind of didn't happen. That was the thing, you know, oh, right, that um, <laughs> my, yeah, my stepfather at the time, he was, um, you know, he was very, he had a particular way of looking at kids, you know, kids had to be tough and whatever. And, you know, it's like, if you're asking for help with bullying, then, you know, it's like, well, why aren't you just like being stronger like and being the person up or something? Yeah. yeah, it's like, you know, man up kind of attitude. So that that just like hit a brick wall asking for help there. Um, asking my mother was difficult because, you know, she had her own things going on and only could do so much. I had, I asked the people at the school, you know, there was um, the housemaster and whatever who, who kind of, I know he was compassionate towards me and, and, and tried to help, but it didn't change anything, you see. Um, so, you know, all the people that I did ask, um, it kind of not fell on deaf ears, but it just didn't change anything. Um, and so how did know. that affect your ability to ask for help as an adult? Did it affect it? Um, I think... I think it it certainly made me look to myself first right. for solutions. You know, definitely. So you know, if something's going wrong, whatever, you know, I've got to kind of figure out how I'm going to write myself up. Um, but that all changed when um, uh, just before I went on my sabbatical and I did get some counselling. Um, so then I did look for help. But, um, you know, even with friends leading up to that point, whatever, you know, it's just I just fell into this role for all my early adult life of being a helper. Mm. You know, so near all my relationships, I was there just like offering counsel or, you know, just finding solutions for people, do you know what I mean, close to me. And in a way, a lot of us helpers, you know, are the ones that need help, right? Um, but there's yeah, a certain yeah. comfort in being able to give it instead of receive it, right? Yeah, well, yeah, there's something, yeah, yeah, something about that, you know, that kind of massages the psyche. Yeah, I yeah. Think, or makes you, you know, feel like yeah. there's some self-worth, like you're, you're worth being well, in the world, which can cover up well, some of the it, shame. It is actually very fulfilling as well, you know, so, you know, if you're having a low point and then you help somebody else, you become fulfilled, but then it can easily just set up like... Um, an unhelpful formula in the long term, you know, because every time you feel bad, okay, I'm going to go out and help somebody, you yeah. know what I mean? And just it's get like, my hit yeah. and avoid yeah. what's really going and on really, for me. Yeah, and it really was like that, you know. Uh, I can just see it, you know. I'd have a bad moment, you know, when, when um, uh, you know, classic was when I first learned over the phone that my partner at the time, she um, had... Um, aborted our child and I which I didn't even know she had fallen pregnant and I didn't even know there was a pregnancy until she said she had aborted the child and in that moment my mother was seeking support from me whilst mm. I was on the phone Ugh. I had to put down the phone and help my mother straight away I couldn't talk to my mother about it you know because she was in her thing um, and so you know and I remember feeling good after helping my mother with her issues um but then you know that's the kind of pattern that got set up you know from an early age and continued through through my life 
And so do you think you're the adversity and you've talked about so much stuff that's gone on. Do you think it's shaped who you are today and um, the, the character that you bring to your work and, and your mm-hmm. role in your family? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. How would you say it's um, impacted you most, do you think? I think it's impacted me most simply because I've had to go inside and work stuff out, you know, um, I guess, you know, uh, I'm no stranger to adversity from a introspective kind of, you know, point of view. So, um, you know, for my kids and for my partner, when they have issues and stuff going on, it's easy. I find it easy to kind of get in into their shoes, as it were. I think I do anyway. Um, so in that sense, as a family man, it's really helped me, you know, um, in my wider life. Um, I don't help so many friends anymore. Most of my friends I have around me are quite, quite stable, if you have a better word, you know. Do you know what I mean? You know, they don't need, you know, we get, have moments where there's a bit of chat about, you know, the challenges they're going through, but I don't feel I need to really fix anybody around me in my, That's huge. In my circles, <laughs> you know. Um, and those that I do fix in my work, um, I get paid for that. And that is, that, that just feels, that just protects protects me from it becoming too much you know i'm paid for this it begins and ends yeah session begins session ends Do you so know there's, there's I mean? a so, boundary but also you've able yeah. you've found yourself a career that Professional. you're able to use your your ability to have empathy and to be direct and to help people yeah. within that structure That's it without, yeah and it, and it stays healthy that way you know um so yeah it's definitely helped me in my in my wider life you know, um, and, and, you know, when we've had periods of depression or, or faced mm. cer- certain low points like that, we often need to put certain routines or habits in place in order to sustain us at the level of mm. uh, like success or, um, and, and you must be able to sense if you're maybe dipping a bit. I mean, what do mm. you have routines or habits that you try and put in place for you just to look yeah, after you? Yeah. Well, you know, something I think I've realized um, over the years, um, and I think it's not necessary to do with my experiences as a child. I think it's just, uh, once again, I think it's something maybe I've been born with. It's just a propensity for, the, uh, you know, experiencing depression, yeah. um, a depressive state, as it were, um, work with as brain chemicals or whatever, you know. But I think I have a propensity for that. So um, having ways of dealing with that has become a part of my life. Yeah. And I think one big thing is not, to um it's for me not to um uh what is the word for it when you just obsessed on faults you know yeah you know you're having like a low point and then you just want to like, like sit wallow in a corner in it stick it, yeah in it. just yeah. like you know find a corner somewhere and just like you know over and over again it's like, so I, like I, ruminating I can, yeah, that's the word i think yeah i'm able to kind of get myself out of that process um you know um how and, though what do you do do with it um, distract myself, you know, I find something else. Um, it's a kind of, um, you know, the obsessive thing, whether it be, for instance, whatever, I don't know. I can't think of anything like specific that I've, I've, I've had to, yeah. that I've wanted to obsess over. But the, the thing it presents itself as quite powerful. Yeah. Like, you know, it's like the most important thing in your life when you're having that down moment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, know, only, you know what I mean? Like it consumes everything. Yeah, it consumes everything. So for me, the only thing that would um, distract me from that is something equally as powerful, and that has been my training. Right. You know, 
yeah, my physical training. So I would, in the past, I've chosen something just really diabolically challenging, you know, <laughs> yeah. and just, yeah, it forces you into it. your body and to your yeah. into the present rather than in being stuck in your head. Yeah, and it really works. Yeah, so you know, that's what I've done. In yeah, the past. there's something so powerful about just changing your state. Um, mm. um, and I mean, do, are there other things that you you do or that you advise other people to do? Do people you know come to you about this sort of thing? Um. People don't come to me about this sort of thing. I find um, clients that um, have, for, if we talk about clients anyway, yeah, because yeah. it says people in general, but actually if I talk about clients specifically, those that have um, presented it have more pre- presented it as a declaration of their health history rather than a thing that I'm to help them with. You yeah. know? So it more becomes like, okay, you're having a bad day, good to know, I'll, I'll consider that in how I approach you today and you, you know, it's more kind of like that rather than me actually giving them skills. Um, when it comes to people in general, I think, you know, I just, I guess because as a father, um, my social circle has diminished a lot yeah, um, yeah. over the last it's decade. It's a different ball game. <laughs> yeah, different ball game. So I'm just not meeting people with issue, you know, that's the thing. Um, so I guess, you know, when my kids grow up and I start connecting with people more, um, maybe that's when I'm going to have to start dealing with this thing I got, you know, of, you know, drawing sure. the broken souls. Yeah, <laughs> well, it happens. sounds like you've got some good boundaries. <laughs> yeah, we'll see, we'll see those boundaries are going to be put to test again. They'll be tested. Decade. They'll have to evolve. <laughs> um, because you have kids, I want to ask you one more question because I'm always uh, yeah, sure. kind of figuring this one out with my kids. Yeah. Do you, this is a weird question, but do you hope okay. that they face adversity in order to build their character? Um, say that again. Do, do I hope that? Do you hope that your kids face adversity in their life in order to build their character? Um, yeah. Because it's a hard one, though, isn't it? Because yeah. we want to protect well, the them from is, everything. Well, I think one of the things with um, the journey is that, um, that I've had is that. I've I've definitely experienced this um, flip change to adversity and that adversity happens, you know, low points in time happens, but on the other side is a high point, you know, right. mm-hmm. um, and that's happened like, you know, so much, you know, that I've come out the other side stronger. And I think that kind of change and journey that I've made, I've recognized it in other people. And so you know, when people come to me with um, a low point in adversity, something going on in their life, I immediately feel like there's so much potential because mm. I feel like they're, yeah. they're on the brink of discovering something amazing because um, that's what's happened to me. So I, with my kids, although it's kind of like, um, you know, I'm excited about them facing adversity and the trials of life and stuff because I actually think, you know, if they can get it right, they're going to come out the other side we're having learned amazing things or achieved amazing things, you know? Amazing. Amazing. Richard, thank you so much mm. for, for your time yeah. and your openness and um, so many uh, tips and ideas for people who, who might be struggling. Uh, if people want to find you online or work with you in some way, where can they find you? Um, my business name is Up Curve Personal Training. Um, so that's one word up curve and I'm based in Bromley so a Google search will find me quite easily we'll track you down great we'll add that into the podcast notes thank you so much have a great Great. rest of your day all the best
Thank you so much for listening. If something helped you today, please do share this episode with a friend and let them know that they are not alone. I know that for me, isolation kept me stuck much longer than I needed to be. So let's practice courage and talk to someone about what's going on as that's the first step to making life amazing. Check out my website, petravelsboer.com for your free Kickstarter plan, which will teach you to turn your biggest weaknesses into your greatest strengths. Join the community of people who are changing the way they view life's challenges and living life to the full. Until next time, goodbye.